Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you here today, whether you're in person or you're watching online. It is so important to come together and worship, especially right now as our world just gets crazier and crazier. And that's part of the reason that I'm excited to share with you from God's Word today. And I want to give you a heads up. I have never preached a sermon quite like this one. And I have a lot of ground to cover, and I want to get right to it. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we started a series called The Way Forward. Here at the beginning of 2021, we need to ask God, uh, where does he want us to go from here? Who does he want us to be? How does he want us to move forward as a church? And in this series, we're going back to Jesus back to the very beginning of his ministry on earth. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus made several statements about who he is and what he came to do. And in the story we read last week, Jesus went back to Nazareth, his hometown. And he went to a worship service in the synagogue in Nazareth. And he got up and spoke to the congregation there. And the first thing he did, he took a scroll of the prophet Isaiah And he read this passage. Here's what it said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And immediately after reading that passage, Jesus said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he said, this prophecy is about me. I am the Messiah, and I came to do all of these things. Now, in this sermon series, we're taking one particular phrase from this passage, and and we're diving a little deeper on that one phrase. Last week, we focused on the words, good news to the poor. And we saw last week that when Jesus proclaims good news to the poor, that applies to both economic and spiritual poverty. And we saw that if you're a part of the church today, you are called to follow his example. So that means genuine followers of Jesus will show compassion, number one, by addressing material needs. And and that could mean sharing food or clothing or other resources. But that's not all. Followers of Jesus will also show compassion by addressing spiritual needs. And throughout this series, we need to remember that our most urgent need is a spiritual problem. It's the problem of sin. And the ultimate good news is that Jesus came to solve our sin problem. When he went to the cross, he gave all of us the chance to be reconciled to God. So as a church, We do need to prioritize our mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That is the most important thing because that's where we find real hope. That's uh, the way to claim the promise of eternal life. However, God still calls the church to address needs here in the material world. And we'll see that again today as we focus on a different phrase from Luke chapter 4. We're going to skip to the end of verse 18, and we're going to see this amazing truth. Jesus came to set the oppressed free. And again, just like last week, 
that statement sounds great, but what does it mean exactly? What does that freedom look like? Well, just like the phrase good news for the poor, this statement works on two levels. Number one, Jesus came to set free those who are oppressed and mistreated here in the physical world, and he also came to free those who are spiritually oppressed. So you have the physical meaning and the spiritual meaning. And to be honest, uh, here at church, we talk a lot more about the spiritual side of things. And like I said, that's appropriate because our sin problem is the most urgent need we have. But it's also important that we talk about what's happening in this world. And that's where we'll spend the majority of our time today. And I need to let you know, we're going to look at a few topics that are fairly controversial in our culture. Uh, I'm going to bring up some issues that often lead to disagreements or arguments. And of course, you and I both know that it's become very difficult to have civil conversations about controversial issues. All I have to do is say the word mask or the word election and our collective blood pressure starts to go up. So before I get into the specifics, I feel the need to say a word about the divisiveness in our culture, as well as the roles we play as followers of Jesus. Over the past few years, I've noticed a trend in our conversations, especially on social media. And this trend has intensified over time. And here's what I'm seeing. Let's say we have two people who disagree Person A is over here, and person B is over here. And person A posts an opinion that person B really disagrees with. So person B feels the need to respond. And all too often, person B says something along these lines. You are crazy. Or maybe you're an idiot. Or maybe you are flat out evil. Now, they may, that may not be the exact words that person B uses, but that's the basic tone. And the problem is, that tone is confrontational. It's offensive. But with each of those statements, there's actually an idea that may need to be expressed. When person B says, you're crazy, they may be trying to say, hey, your beliefs and your ideas are not logical. They don't make sense. Unfortunately, person B expressed that idea in a way that just deepened the divide between the two of them. Now, the phrase, you're an idiot, could mean you've been lied to and you fell for it. And finally, the phrase, you're evil, could mean you are intentionally bringing harm to an individual or to a group of people or to our world. And like I said, sometimes those messages do need to be communicated because the truth is people are frequently illogical. People are often duped. And sometimes people are intentionally doing evil and they need to be confronted. But how do we go about these conversations in a productive way? How can we work out our disagreements and help each other come to a knowledge of the truth? I've decided that social media is a very imperfect venue for having these discussions. Uh, when I disagree with somebody, I very much prefer a face-to-face -face conversation. Because when we're typing at each other, it's so easy to be misunderstood or misconstrued. But 
wherever you have these conversations, followers of Jesus need to ask a very important question. How did Jesus respond to wrong ideas or wrong words or wrong actions? Well, we can read the Gospels and see exactly what he did. I'll give you kind of an extreme example from Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 33, it says, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I'll be honest, that response blows me away. These people had beliefs and actions that were very, very wrong. They were killing the only perfect person who ever lived. Jesus was the victim of pure evil. And yet, he shows love and empathy for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, let's not get this wrong. Let's not get confused here. Uh, Jesus doesn't pray for vengeance. He prays for blessings. But this prayer does not mean that Jesus overlooks wrongdoing or wrong thinking. It doesn't mean that he won't confront evil or hold people accountable. It just means that Jesus is like no one else. He actually loved his enemies. And then he told us to do the same thing. Uh, Now, following that example from Jesus is a tall order. Uh, Actually, the only way you can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. However, there is a baby step in that direction that we can all take this week. You can find that baby step in James chapter 1 where it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let's pray for God's help in this area. Uh, When we interact with others, let's represent Jesus well. Let's be ready and willing to listen. After all, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. There's always something you can learn from the other person. And that is so important because none of us has a complete picture of the truth. We all have a limited perspective. We all have blind spots. Uh, That becomes a real problem when we're making decisions on important issues. I'll give you an example. I'm sure you know at least someone who has rejected the Christian faith for one reason or another. And why might that happen? Well, I'll give you one common scenario. Let's pretend there's a guy named Bob, imaginary Bob. He's standing right here. And let's say that Bob has try, he's, he's decided to try to figure out what he believes. And he takes a look at Christianity. And I want you to imagine Bob standing at a distance, and he's looking at a big pile of things that he associates with Christianity. And from a distance, Bob sees a whole list of problematic issues, and he starts to make some accusations. He says, look at all the terrible things that have been done by people who call themselves Christians. Look at, look at the Crusades. 
Look at slavery. Look at the scandals that you see in the news all the time. And based on these observations and accusations, Bob decides to reject the Christian faith. He decides, man, there's no truth there. And of course, that's a very tragic thing because certain people have led him away from Christ. But here's the problem. Just because certain self-proclaimed Christians have gotten it wrong, that does not mean there's no truth there. The accusations may be valid and they may be tragic, but that doesn't mean there's, there's not truth underneath. Now, I see where Bob's coming from. I see those same problems. I see those issues. But I have found reasons to believe that Christianity is true. I believe that Jesus is the truth. And I've staked my life and my eternity on that. And I know, I know that many of you have as well. So what Bob needs is someone who can help him strip away all those things that obscure the beauty of Jesus so he can see the truth that lies underneath. Now, I want you to remember that concept because we're going to come back to it later. But we need to get back to our primary issue for today, which is that Jesus came to set the oppressed free. He had compassion for people who were suffering. And that compassion wasn't just some feeling. He took action. Yeah, we see Jesus do that throughout the Gospels. And like we said, God has called the church to follow the example of Jesus. And, and that means doing our part to bring freedom to those who are oppressed. In fact, we're commanded to do that all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So two times there it says speak up. God wants us to be a voice for people who can't speak for themselves. And you know this is a theme that shows up in the Bible again and again. Uh, you can go to... Uh, the prophet Isaiah, also in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And then later in the New Testament, John, 1 John chapter 3, the apostle says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And a true follower of Jesus is not just convicted by these words. We're inspired by these words because God is, is calling us. He's giving us the privilege to make a positive difference in this world. And so now it's time to get specific. Where might we find people who need to be offended or need to be defended? And, and, and where might we find people who are victims of injustice? Well, I'll give you just a few categories that you might consider. And this is by no means a comprehensive list, but this might get our wheels turning a little bit. First, I'll mention an oppression that is specific to the unborn. And this is a perfect example of people who can't speak for themselves. Unborn babies need someone to defend them. And wow, I am amazed by the controversy around this issue. It is hard for me to understand how someone could fail to recognize the value of life from conception all the way through death. 
Uh, but remember James chapter 1. What did we see there? We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So I listened to some of the accusations that people have against the pro-life position. And it may be helpful to go back to our imaginary friend named Bob. Let's say that Bob looks at the whole pro-life, pro-choice controversy. And let's say he has an accusation. Bob says, based on what I've seen and based on what I've heard, this pro-life crowd, they care a lot about birth. They're pro-birth, but they stop caring about children once they're born. Now, many of us would say that accusation is unfair But even if a few pro-lifers fit that description, what did we say earlier? Even if some accusations are valid, that does not mean there's no truth underneath. So let's look at some truth that aligns with the pro-life position. First of all, it's very clear that life begins at conception. Uh, Some people would like to avoid that truth, but it's very hard to do when you're being objective. In fact, several years ago, the owner of the largest abortion clinic in the state of Oregon testified in Congress, and she said this, of course life begins at conception. This isn't new news. It's just overlooked information. Now let that sink in for a second. 61 million babies have been exterminated because of overlooked information. That is a terrible tragedy on a massive scale. Now, for those who have trouble with this concept, I read a blog post from a pastor named Zach Stewart, and he shared something powerful. And we can start with a scenario. Let's say it's New Year's Eve, and a young man and a young woman get together, and things get a little hot, and the young woman ends up pregnant. So that's December 31st. A new life begins. And what happens from there? Well, let's break it down. On New Year's Day, what do we have? January 1st, all 46 chromosomes are present, giving that baby a unique genetic makeup that cannot be replaced or reproduced. On January 21st, the baby's heart begins to beat. February 7th, the baby's eyes, legs, and hands begin to develop. February 21st, the baby starts kicking and swimming in the womb. February 28th, every organ in the baby's body is in the proper place. Bones are taking shape and fingerprints have begun to form. Now at that point, we're just eight weeks into the pregnancy and it is so, so obvious. This is not a mass of tissue. This is a child, a human being. And sadly, Most abortions in the U.S. happen after the eighth week. So back to our friend Bob. If someone could help Bob strip away the controversy around this issue, he could see the truth. He could see that when a child is conceived, God is performing an amazing miracle. In Psalm 139, King David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that amazing? When your mother was eight weeks pregnant, God saw you. He knew you. And you were precious to him. And when a child's life is taken while still in the womb, I know that God's heart is grieved. And as the church... Our hearts should break for all the unborn children who have been lost. Our hearts should also break for mothers who feel like abortion is their only option. Followers of Jesus should be moved by compassion to show God's love to people around us. But what can we do? And how can we respond when people say that pro-lifers don't care about children after they're born? Well, the way to respond is through action. Let us love not with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. And you may be well aware of this, but many, many Christians are actively involved in defending unborn babies and born children, as well as mothers and fathers. Here in northern Kentucky, I've been so impressed by the work of the New Hope Center. For over 30 years, New Hope has been affirming life and bringing glory to God by showing Christ's love to people in our community. Uh, New Hope provides five different services for their clients. First, they offer pregnancy testing. Second, they provide education about abortion. Third, they perform ultrasounds at no cost. And that is huge because 90% of their clients considering abortion choose life after their ultrasound. Fourth, New Hope provides abortion aftercare. And fifth, they offer parenting classes at no cost. So their care does not end when the child is born. And I know that's true of many Christian-based crisis pregnancy centers around the country. And I know of many, many Christians who have adopted or fostered children. There are so many Uh, followers of Jesus who have gotten involved in this effort to defend the unborn. And if you want to be a part of that, New Hope welcomes volunteers. Uh, My wife, Hannah, has served with them. And you can feel free to give them a call. But before I leave this topic, if you or someone you know is dealing with an unplanned pregnancy, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. You can go to New Hope directly. Uh, Go to newhope.org. Or you can contact us here at Plum Creek and we will connect you with someone who could help. And I also need to say this. If you are dealing with the pain and the guilt of an abortion, please know God loves you. We all need his grace and that grace is available to you. So uh, the unborn would be one category of people who are oppressed. And I'll mention just a couple more. Uh, We need to be aware of an oppression that is specific to women and girls. This issue has come to the forefront over the last few years with the rise of the Me Too movement. And there are people like our friend Bob who may associate that movement with radical feminists. In fact, Bob may have a few accusations. He may say, I think of the feminist crowd as a bunch of men haters. I, I see this feminist crowd as a group trying to push a radical agenda but by now you know how we can respond to 
Bob, right? Even if some accusations are valid, that doesn't mean there's no truth underneath. And the truth is, women across the world have been victimized in a shameful way. Let's look at a couple of facts. According to one survey, 80% of women have experienced some form of sexual harassment during their lifetime. And then there's this, 90% of adult rape victims are female. In the church, we should grieve over these statistics. And we should open our eyes to the suffering of women and girls around the world. About a year and a half ago, I had a conversation with a longtime friend of mine, a guy named David Peters. David is the chief people officer of an organization called Rafa International. And Rafa works to end the trafficking and the sexual exploitation of children, one child at a time. This is something we may not want to think about, but in our world today, child slavery is actually on the rise. But Rafa operates safe houses for victims of human trafficking. They work in places like Cambodia and Thailand and Haiti. The average age of the girls in their program is 12, 12 years old. And what these girls have experienced is literally unthinkable to most of us. But when girls are brought to Rafa International, their basic needs are met. They also receive medical care and trauma counseling and education and legal representation. Uh, these girls are shown the love of Christ in tangible ways. And this is not a short-term commitment. These girls often need care and support for years and years. And you know, this is one of those issues where we might look at the problem and, and just feel helpless. But that's why we can thank God for ministries like Rafa. Because you may not be able to fly to Thailand and rescue a bunch of girls from slavery, but you can partner with Rafa in their work. And if you want to learn more or you want to get involved, you can go to rafa.org. But I also need to point out that sexual abuse is not limited to the other side of the world. All too often, women and girls and boys are victimized in our neighborhoods and our communities. So while we definitely care about suffering in other places, we also care about what's happening close to home. And one simple way to help is just to get to know your neighbors, uh, build friendships, and be a safe person to talk to in case someone you know needs to ask for help. Let's be aware that these things happen all around us. Okay, I'll mention one more category of oppression today, and I'll hit on this one very briefly. I want to look at oppression specific to minority groups. Now, of course, the race issue is one of the big hot-button arguments in our culture right now. And depending on who you are, you might be standing with imaginary Bob and you might have a few accusations. You might say, well, there's a group in that anti-racist crowd that resorts to violence. Or there's a group in that anti-racist crowd that paints the police with a big, broad, negative brush. You know what I'm going to say, right? Even if some accusations are valid, that doesn't mean there's no truth underneath. And listen, there's no way I can untangle this complicated issue in just a few minutes. So I'm going to keep it very, very simple. I'd like for each one of us to ask a simple question. 
Here it is. How often am I in the minority? It's no secret that here in southern Campbell County and Pendleton County, we don't have a lot of racial diversity. And I believe it's safe to say that most of us connected to Plum Creek are usually in the majority when it comes to race. And I'd say this about myself, too. Uh, I don't know what it's like to spend most of my life in the minority. I can't speak to the experience of being black in America. I can't speak to the experience of being Hispanic or Asian or whatever. And what did we learn from James? As we relate to others, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And why is that a good idea? Well, it's a good idea because every human being has a blind spot. Even if you are a sincere Christian and you're honestly trying to be like Jesus, you still have your blind spots. This week I read a pamphlet from a preacher who lived over 150 years ago. And this preacher was defending the institution of slavery. He said that God approved of what was happening in the American South. And I think we could agree that this preacher had some serious blind spots. In more recent times, when I was a child, I heard many of my relatives make very racist statements. And I truly believe these were people with a genuine faith in Jesus, but I also believe they had some blind spots. And let's be honest, is it possible that many Christians today have a blind spot in this area? Absolutely. Now, like I said, I can't deal with this issue in depth right now, so I'll just give you one small action step. When it comes to matters of race, listen. And, and I, don't, I don't mean listen to the news. I mean a real-life person, a face-to-face, one-on-one conversation. Seek out someone who can help you understand their experience and go ahead and ask, what's it like for you? And what do you think about what's happening in our world? And I realize that right now there are barriers to having that conversation. Uh, we need to overcome geographic barriers and COVID-related barriers. So this may not be convenient, but the act of listening is so worthwhile. And at the very least, you could seek out some voices that would give you a different perspective. You could read a book, listen to a podcast, uh, find a brother or sister in Christ who's out there sharing their story with others. And you may discover some specific ways where you can show God's love and speak up for those who need to be heard. The reality is, We could spend hours and hours making a list of all the ways that people are oppressed in our world today. And everywhere there is oppression, the church has an opportunity to love, not with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And let's be clear, uh, doing good works is not a way to earn our salvation. Good works are never the cause of salvation. They're the effect of of salvation. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit will transform you over time so that you will become more like Jesus. So to put it very, very simply, God's people will love others. God's people will follow the example of Jesus and work to bring freedom for those who are oppressed. And that applies to physical oppression in this world and also spiritual oppression. 
And we'll talk more about the spiritual side of things over the next couple of weeks. For now, though, I encourage you to think and to pray about where you might get involved. Um, It could be that you are already involved in defending the oppressed in some way. And uh, if so, that's great. Or maybe you haven't found your place yet. And it's not for me to say exactly what you should do, but I can leave you with a question that may help. The question is, where is your holy discontent? A holy discontent is when you look at some kind of injustice in the world and and this righteous anger rises up inside of you and you say, that's got to stop. That's got to change. I need to do something about that. So I've talked about several issues today. Did one of them stir up something inside of you? Or maybe just in your life, you've noticed a different group of people who are suffering and you have this strong sense that somebody needs to reach out and help them. If so, pray about that. See where God leads you. Because God's people will love others. It's simple, but it's true. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all of the reasons that Jesus came thank you for the good news for everyone who is poor. I thank you for freedom for the oppressed. And Lord, that, uh, that is so important on a spiritual level. But it's also important uh, for people to experience your love and your freedom here in this world. So Lord, I pray uh, as a church we will... Uh, Get involved. Be a part of the solution. Help us, Lord, to to show your love and to follow the example of Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.